Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team and back to number one in the East, the Miami Heat. So I feel happy to say that I was right about last week, how Miami would bounce back on their road trip uh, once you know they got through the tougher parts of the schedule, which was the four, four uh, games in five nights. But, yeah, 3-0 week for Miami. The part that I didn't predict, though, was Kyle Lowry finally coming back. I don't think it's any coincidence that he comes back. And not only does Miami roll out three wins in a row to counteract the three-game losing streak that they had before, but they're three dominant wins. Um, Granted, it is against two play-in teams and one, sorry, uh, two lottery teams, one play-in team. But still, like, this is a, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit, but, yeah. As per usual, do the recaps, uh, then we'll just take a look at some of the stuff with All-Star Game coming up soon, and then the big thing will be obviously trade talk, we're about 24 hours, a little less than 24 hours before the trade deadline tomorrow, and then as usual, uh, finish up taking a look at the games going forward for the next week. But to start out with, with the recaps, we go back to last Thursday, Miami is on game three of a six-game road trip, and they are now at the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, this was also a game we, we learned, I think it was late Wednesday, a little bit after I posted the last episode, that Kyle Lowry would return for uh, this Thursday game against the Spurs. It was a game Miami won 112-95. to This was also a game that Caleb Martin would sit out. Uh, it was listed as Achilles, so hopefully it's not too bad. I mean, Achilles injuries are some of the worst that you could have in, in basketball, so hopefully it was just preventative. He only sat one game, so again, I don't think there's anything too bad. But for this one, he was out. Uh, but yeah, Miami won this one. That puts them, I mean, it's a game against a Western Conference team, so it's only a two-game series. They're up 1-0 for whatever that means. But the game itself was one that Miami did start off a little bit sluggish. They were down six at one point in the first quarter before eventually coming back and only, and actually being up 21-19 going into the second quarter. In the second, they came out on a 10-0 run to establish about a double-digit lead. And then from there, kind of traded buckets with the Spurs until the, the Heat were up 57-47 at halftime. And then in the third quarter, the lead dropped down a little bit early to about as low as six. And then the Heat responded with a 15-3 run. They were up 22 points, 88-66, to going into the fourth. In the fourth quarter itself, the lead got about as high as 26 halfway through. And then the Heat just kind of cruised from there, put in the bench units. But, yeah, fun fact for this one, and uh, see if you spot a trend going forward for the other games, Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker did not play a single minute in the fourth quarter. Miami just cruised to a dominant win, primarily behind Bam Adebayo. 18 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 steals on 7 of 13 from the field, 0-1 from 3, so they actually took a 3-point attempt, I'm going to give them that. 4-6 from the free throw line. But the big thing here, just aggressive. We saw this in the uh, Raptors game after the, the Celtics loss where the Celtics, uh, he, he was very much passive. It was that same problem that we've always gotten, gotten to with Bam, right? You be passive one game, he comes out the next game really aggressive, and then it's just a question of can he stay aggressive the next game and then the next game. Well, so far, he had continued that. He was a big reason for this dominating win, especially because the Spurs uh, were without their best rim protector, Jakob Pertl. But last thing for Bam, team high plus 26, and really did show watching the game. Uh, outside of Bam, Tyler Hero had a really good team high, 24 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals 
on 11 of 20 from the field, so pretty efficient. 0 of 5 from 3, so the three-point shot was not falling, but he compensated for that by getting inside and just finishing inside uh, inside the arc, whether it was mid-range or getting to the rim. Uh, didn't go to the line too much, 2-2 from the line, but the big thing for him, 10 points in the fourth quarter just to kind of help make sure everything just cruised along to an easy win and Butler didn't have to come back in. So last two takeaways for the Spurs one. One, this was pretty interesting. Um, the Spurs came in with the fifth highest pace in the league, and Miami slowed them down to what was essentially the, would be the equivalent of the 23rd pace in the league. So uh, interesting there that Miami was able to go in with this team and say, no, we're dictating the pace of this game. You're coming down towards us. And other than that, uh, pretty good shooting night for Miami. 12 of 30 from three-point, so not quite the volume, but good efficiency at 40%. So for this one's big shooters, Duncan Robinson, 4 of 8. You'd like to see that, the 50%. Uh, P.J. Tucker and Max Struess, 2 of 3. And Dwayne Dedman, 1 of 1. So able to get some shooting from quite a few different players and pretty efficient as well. And, yeah, all of it just goes into what was just a dominating uh, performance well, in this case, a dominating bounce-back win after what had happened with uh, the Raptors and Celtics beforehand. After the Spurs, Miami still continued on the road. They would be next at the Charlotte Hornets last Saturday. Also a game, Miami won 104-86, to and the score might not even have been that close. So this game, Caleb Martin was back, but instead uh, Max Struess would be outlisted for quad this time. But he would only miss one game, so nothing too bad. And around here is where I started to wonder maybe if I suppose just kind of looking at it and going, okay, well, I'm 10-11 deep. Does anybody want a night off? Oh, Max, you're, you're quad? Cool. All right, you're off. Cool. Now I have a nine-man rotation that I can stick with for the game. Thank you. But, yeah, Max Drew's out. He would only be out for one game. The Hornets are in our division, so we play them four times. But we're already up 2-0 with this win on the, against them in a best of four. So, yeah, we own the tiebreaker if a worst-case scenario were to ever happen. But, um, yeah, the trajectory of the team right now. We'll get back to the Hornets a little bit later on. But to go through the recap real quick, Heat got out to an early lead, 31-23, to behind Jimmy Butler, 12 points in the first quarter. But some cold shooting in the second quarter, 24% from the field, had the Heat down 46-51 to at halftime. Once the third quarter came out, though, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it. We'll just put it this way: Miami outscored them thirty-five to eight. That that pretty much tells you everything you need to know about what happened in that third quarter. The other team scored eight points. They had fifty-nine points going into the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, the Heat were up eighty-one to fifty-nine at that point. In the fourth quarter, the Heat pushed it up as much as thirty points. On their court. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say this. In the Spurs game, there was let's go Heat chance for, from Heat fans in the Spurs arena. And right around here is where we also saw let's go Heat, sorry, heard let's go Heat chance in the Hornets arena. So, yeah, Heat Nation, we, we show up on road games too. Uh, but, yeah, fourth quarter pushed as much as 30. Then we cruised like before. No, Jimmy Butler did not have, and PJ Tucker did not have to play a single fourth quarter minute. But in addition to them, Neither did Bam Adebayo. So three of our starters got to rest the entire fourth quarter as we cruised to a blowout win. But let's talk about two of those starters and how they stood out this game. Jimmy Butler, 27 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 
one block on a really efficient 10 of 13 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, but that's fine. At least he's trying to take them 7 of 7 from the line, perfect yet again. And in the third quarter, when Miami was blowing out the Hornets, a perfect 4-4 from the field and one a 1-1 one, one from the line for uh, 9 points in that quarter. And good because he got the rest the entire fourth. Like, think about that. He did that entire stat line in three quarters against the Hornets. And then the other one that stood out, Bam Adebayo. Again, only did the stat line in three quarters. 20 points, 12 rebounds, three assists, three steals, two blocks. Not his most efficient game. 7-21 from the field. But think about that. Think about the last time. I, I literally cannot think of a time off the top of my head that Bam Adebayo has had 21 field goal attempts in a game. So, like, it goes back to, again, for the third game in a row now, Bam Adebayo has come out aggressive in looking for his shot. Also put in a 6-7 from the free throw line, and in the third quarter, with, with that blowout, 10 points uh, with 4 of 9 from the field. So he was just, con- like, it, it did not even matter to him that they were not going in. He just kept going for it, which is, again, exactly what we've always wanted from him. Like, you, you got to get in the good nights and the bad nights to get to that high level of consistency. But, uh, again, like we saw with the Spurs also, uh, the Hornets, even to an even greater degree, are a fast-paced team. They came in at the second fastest pace in the league, and Miami held them to what would be the equivalent of the 19th in the league. So, again... Miami came in and said, no, no, no. Like, sure, you're going to speed us up. We can't completely stop you. We can't completely drag you to our level. But we're going to drag you most of the way to our level and then just grind you out. Uh, Other than that, not a great shooting night for Miami, this one here, but by their standards. 11 of 32 from three-point range, good for 34%. Uh, Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero were about the only ones that were propping up that shooting. Lowry, 3 of 5. Hero, 5 of 8. So good bounce back considering he was 0 of 5 beforehand. Uh, and Tyler Hero also a team high, plus 23. So yeah, at this point, we're now two in a row. Heat going streaking. And it would continue against the next game against the Washington Wizards on Monday night. This was a game Miami won 121 to 100. And like we saw before, um, Tyler, like we saw Martin go down for one game. We saw Struz go down for one game. I guess this was Tyler's night off. Tyler Hero would sit listed because of knee, and Gabe Vincent filled in his role specifically as a six man. Because, you know, like Struz and Martin are more so just bench players. They don't have a, a defined role per se, but beyond the point. Um, this win does put Miami up 3 1 in the best of four series. We are now done playing the Wizards. So, hooray, but I guess it kind of matters for, for division, but I, I don't know. C- kind of like with the Hornets, well, to an m- even more so degree than the Hornets, the Wizards are just bottoming out. Their season is, is practically over. If it was not over before this game, after this game it was over. Beal shut down for the season, and they're, they're trading and trying to salvage shit right now. But back to the game, though. <laughs> Specifically, Bam Adebayo came out, scored the first bucket, the Wizards were able to score a second bucket to make it 2-2. And that was it. The Heat scored and just went the rest of the way. <laughs> By the end of the first quarter, they're up 39-24. to Up 15 behind Jimmy Butler and Gabe Vincent having 11 points each. And Duncan Robinson going 3-3 three three from three-point range to knock in nine points as well. Into the second quarter, the, the league did go down a little bit to... 
60 to 53, mainly because Miami was shooting themselves in the foot with turnovers. They committed six turnovers in the quarter to the Wizards, none. And Miami also committed nine fouls, which gave the Wizards 10 free throw attempts in the quarter. So it was kind of one of the situations where Miami still had the lead, but their two biggest flaws, which is their propensity to pick up fouls sometimes because they'll gamble on defense or play really aggressive, or you know they're very pass-happy so they can be turnover-prone sometimes as well. Both of those kind of reared their head, and it you know kind of put like a little bit of worry in you, but not too much, especially not after the last two games. So came out in the third quarter and proved that right. 10-0 run in the third quarter. They got down to about 7 again, and then the Heat closed out the third on a 15-1 run to be up 91-70 to going into the fourth. In the fourth, they pushed the lead again on the Wizards' home court. Like the last two games with Let's Go Heat chance, they pushed the lead up to 35 before they decided to coast. And also, like the last games, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, P.J. Tucker, did not have to play a single minute in the fourth. Some quick recaps. Uh, Bam Adebayo, yet again, uh, came out aggressive. Team high, 21 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 steal. Much more efficient, 7 of 11 from the field, 7 of 8 from the free throw line, and put in 14 points in the third quarter while doing his usual crushing defense to what was just like, an absolute blowout win. And also a game Miami just shot completely crazy from three, which also helped. 18 of 32 from three-point range. So we, we are seeing them getting around like low 30s in terms of a, a volume up, but hyper-efficient, 56% when you do 18 of 32. Duncan Robinson, 4 of 9. Gabe Vincent, 4 of 6. Kyle Lowry, 3 of 5. Max Strews, 2 of 5. Caleb Martin, 3 of 4. Dwayne Dedman, 2 of 3. So in that group that made shots, Max Struess was the least efficient at 2 of 5, which is 40%. So also kind of goes to show Miami was having a really good shooting night because the Wizards are supposed to be one of the... Uh, the one thing their defense is supposed to do well is defend the 3. And So I lean more towards Miami just having a really good shooting night. But yeah, they were still able to do that against a defense that's supposedly able to defend the three and, yeah, blowout win for Miami to make what is now a 3-0 run. And what I like to mention now here is the way that they have done these three games in a row. They went into an opponent's arena for three games in a row and blew them out in the third quarter so badly that they would they got to rest at least two of their starters sometimes the third with Bam as well, the entire fourth quarter while cruising to a blowout win and let's go heat chance in opposing arenas. That's, the kind of, that's like contender level shit right there. That's the kind of shit you, you used to see with the Golden State Warriors pre-Durant and during Durant. This is the kind of shit we used to have with the big three. So, yeah, not saying we're, we're, we're there. Like we have to, Clearly, we would have to string more wins, but the opening of the narrative of the what would be that narrative is riding itself right now. And it's just the question of if how far this goes at this point. So moving on from the games and just taking a look at kind of the state of where the heat is right now, uh, we'll, we'll save the trade deadline best for last kind of thing. 
But uh, first up, Miami, just injury watch. And it's kind of nice. There's actually not a big report this week. So Victor Oladipo is still out, but he is traveling with the team and has been listed as participating in intense post-practice workouts. So I think what that means to me is just they're try- they wanted to keep him out of any of the major road game road trips and have him healthy right around all-star break. Maybe they can, I don't, I'm not sure about the practice, um, if they can practice during all-star break, but if they can, uh, maybe that's when they're going to try to do some practice with him and really integrate him and have him be part of the post all-star push. Other than Depot, uh, like we mentioned with the games, there's been a few like little ticky tack injuries here and there, Hero, Struess, Martin, but I can't help but think that this may be more so just prevention kind of stuff. Like, we've seen this throughout the, the beginning part of the year where wherever Miami would have a back-to-back, you know, they would put they would put Bam on rest or Lowry or Butler. I think that's more so what it is because, again, we're, we're almost at, like, a glut now because we're getting so healthy. We can go 10 deep on any given night, but that's not always the best just because at that point you may be spreading minutes around too thin. So instead... Suppose going, all right, well, who needs a little bit of rest? And maybe we can, like, you know, with finger quotes, experiment a little bit. Oh, what happens if we're in a situation where Hero uh, goes down with an injury? What, what kind of stuff can we do there? All right, Hero, you're going to rest tonight because your knee's been bothering you a little bit. And then we're going to see if we can still blow out a team uh, without you. Oh, we can. Cool. All right. Uh, then, okay, same thing for Struz and Martin. But point all that, though, is just I'm not too concerned with those injuries. And then the last one in terms of the injury report, and probably the most significant, well, not probably, definitely the most significant, Markeith Morris. He's still been listed out for conditioning. We have not seen him since the Jokic hit. But there has been some rumors circulating that the Heat, kind of like we saw in a, in a similar situation a few years ago with Chris Bosh, might be trying to hold out Markeith Morris because of concerns regarding his health to play the game itself. So where this stems from is Markeith Morris, uh, I had to do some digging, did have an, a neck injury in 2019. It was listed as transient cervical neuropraxia. So while I am not a doctor at all, uh, I do have a biology degree that required me to take some anatomy and physiology so I can at least kind of understand what was going on. But essentially, this is like a condition where... Um, you, you rule, it looks really bad and you have to do a lot of tests because of how bad it looks and you have to assume the more worst case scenario. But as you rule through, as you rule out several worst case scenarios, what you're kind of left with is this, which is, it's kind of a condition that is not too bad. Like it's actually apparently prevalent in football players, which is not to excuse it. Uh, the football does try to minimize this injury, but it's more so to say that this is, an injury that is not uncommon in a professional uh, sports career and therefore is not the worst thing to happen. Like if if this if this neck injury, if you can still have a football career with this kind of condition, I would have to imagine basketball, you definitely can. But for the Heat, they are concerned about the liability of this because the big problem is re-aggravation. And it happened to him in 2019. And now it's happened in 2022, well, 21 into 22. So in that regard, I understand where the heat are coming from, where they're like, look, if they did the same thing with Chris Bosch, like, look, we understand you want to play. We'll give you, we'll give you a chance somewhere else. Um, 
they don't they don't want the worst case situation to happen on their court, <laughs> partially for liability. But I try to give them the benefit of that, the good faith, and say that it is also partially because they don't want players to be hurt to to that degree, like a life threatening degree, on their watch. Because if you saw the injury, it looked really bad. But uh, from what I read, that that is common for for when this becomes re-aggravated. I spend all this time talking about it, though, mainly just to, to get to the idea that I believe the Heat are going to try to trade Marcus Morris uh, before the deadline tomorrow. To, mainly so that way, you know, partially so that way they can get some a, better, a player that they feel safer about and that can, you know, contribute to their title push. And then also partially to be like, all right, Morris, we understand you, you still want to play. We'll try to get you somewhere else and tr- so you can get that playing time. And on that topic, let's go now into the trade deadline stuff. So I guess the way I'm going to break this down first is what does Miami need? So right now, um, obviously every team would like superstars. You, you would always want the best players in the game, Luka, Doncic, blah, blah, whatever. Miami, in no way, shape, or form, is in any discussions for superstars, mainly because they don't have the draft assets to compete with, say, an Oklahoma City Thunder that could offer, you know, five-plus first-round picks or something like that. And then also just because I think this team really feels feels like they want to go all in with this, with this core, and that would also require breaking up the core if you were to try for that. So really, I think the only thing this this roster needs in terms of to be complete is they need a backup three and D type four with you know with all the concerns surrounding uh, Markeith Morris. I do think in in a worst case scenario, if Miami doesn't make a move, they they might try to give Morris that playing time just because at that point their hands kind of forced because like d- during the regular season they've been able to get away with it with a mixture of yeah, Jimmy Butler at the four, Max Struess at the four, um, Dwayne Dedman, Bam Minutes, things like that. But in the playoffs, I don't think that shit's going to fly. So the one thing the Heat feel they need to be a complete roster is that backup four. So now we see, think, okay, what do the Heat have to offer? Well, first off, they're not training any of their best four players. Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry. And to that point, I also said they're not training Udonis Haslam, partially because he doesn't mean that much to other teams, and also partially because he means that much more to Miami. Um, they're not going to trade away players that are performing way better than their contracts because it's going to be really hard to get a good player back that's also going to be outperforming their contract. These are players like P.J. Tucker, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, Dwayne Dedman. Like, all those players are way outperforming their contracts, so you're not going to get that value back. Uh, at this point, they've already invested a lot into Victor Oladipo. So, and, like, that that seems to be, like, what they are considering their, quote-unquote, uh, big roster change from the tra- trade deadline, even if they don't end up making any moves. So, oh, yeah, Kyle Guy, not really worth anything, even though he's on it, so he's on a two-way, whatever. So, really, what I think it gets down to, um, oh, yeah, and then right before I recorded this, so kind of good that I, I ended up having to be a little bit late today, the Heat traded away KZ Akpala to the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for a second-round pick and then also changing the... So, through a long, convoluted trade, OKC has a pick from Miami that falls within a certain year range. 
Um, Miami and OKC used this trade to renegotiate those terms. Essentially, what they did was they said, OKC, we're going to remove some of these protections, so you're going to have a, a better guarantee of when you're going to get this pick. But in exchange, because they shortened the year span, Miami can now offer more first-round picks than they could before, or ha- they have more first-round picks available to trade. So it's kind of like a good win-win, right? Oklahoma City gets a young player. They get some protections removed from the pick. Miami gets a second-round pick, and now they can also offer more first-round picks so they have more draft capital now. So Kaziak Paula now off the roster. So it gets down to you have to offer Marquise Morris, Omir Yurt 7, and potentially the draft capital that you've opened up, and um, potentially Duncan Robinson, which is kind of where everything seems to hinge right now. Because if you wanted to go for, say, a Harrison Barnes or a Jeremy Grant-type player, you'd have to include Duncan Robinson. I am actually on the side that I don't think you do that. Um, Mainly because if you remove Duncan Robinson, like your best volume sniper at that point is Max Struess, which is not bad, but what if Max Struess is having an off night? Like The fact that you have two of these high-volume shooters that are just serviceable enough on defense like means you just have backups for each other. So if you look back at the uh, Hornets game, right? Like Max Struess was out in that game, and Duncan Robinson had a bad shooting game going 1-7, and that was the night Miami had the worst shooting within this three-game winning streak at 34%. So, like Jeremy, not not to say that Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes are bad three point shooters. Like they're good three point shooters, but they're not a volume sniper like a Duncan Robinson is. Which is why I think the Heat may be better keeping Duncan Robinson. And instead, if I were the Miami Heat, my target is uh, PJ Washington from the Charlotte Hornets. So, like I previewed a little bit earlier, let's come back and take a look at where the Hornets are at right now. So currently, the Charlotte Hornets are ninth in the East. They've been starting to fall out. They were, at one point, they were almost trying to vie for six. Like, they were on seventh on the way up. Now they've fallen down to ninth. So they're moving in the wrong direction at the moment. One of the things that they really need on their roster is a legit, at least like a backup center, potentially new starting center. The only true center they have on the roster is Mason Plumlee, who's 31 years old. And this is a primarily young team. So... My trade package for them would be Yurt Seven, Morris, and then we we can haggle over the draft uh, capital. Oh, second round pick, first round pick, whatever. We'll haggle that out, grease the wheel kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the the main thing would be Miami gets PJ Washington, and the Charlotte Hornets get a young, promising looking center in Omir Yurt Seven, a productive, you know, a, a player that wants to be productive in Markeith Morris. So they get two players for that that can help them try to get out of the ninth into a seventh or eighth. Just because when you're ninth or tenth, you have to win two games to make it into the playoffs. You got to beat, you got to win that nine ten matchup, and then you got to beat the loser of the seven eight. So it's doubly important for Charlotte to try to get to that seven eight. And I think Yurt Seven and Morris could help them do that. And then you know they could have some draft capital going forward. So that's my argument for why I think this is beneficial for the Hornets. So why is this beneficial for the Heat? Well, P.J. Washington, I think, could be a perfect backup for for what Miami's trying to do. So Washington, just some quick background, 12th pick in the 2019 draft, right before Tyler here at 13th. And he was on Miami's radar. Obviously, the Heat did great with Tyler Hero, 
but it was just to say that the Heat had scouted this person and had interest in him enough to to be on their board at the time. But uh, outside of that, he was a starter for the first two years in Charlotte, but then he's lately been coming off the bench. I, admittedly, I don't know all the nitty-gritty details, but from an outside looking in, I see a player that started the first two seasons of their career and is now primarily playing off the bench. Like He's only started four games out of 38 games he's played so far. I see that as a player that's moving towards the back end of a rotation and therefore um, the team would be willing to move on from. But we need a backup four, so that's why it would fit in perfectly for, for us. So uh, just to go through some of the stats real quick as well, the, and these are per-game stats. He only does this in 24 minutes off the bench. But 10 points, 5.4 rebounds, uh, 2 assists, so he can pass a little bit. He gets about 0.7 steal, 0.9 blocks, so he's a little active on the defensive end. And doing this on uh, shooting splits of 45, 39, 73. So not quite the best free throw shooter, but 39% from 3 is pretty solid. And good volume too, 4.7 attempts per game. So overall, like he's got, he's got the 3-point range. We know he's young and he's got the physicality. Uh, so that's why I think like you put him in behind P.J. Tucker now you got your guy that, oh, yeah, sorry, he also does have experience playing small ball five as well. So if the concern is, well, what happens if Dwayne Dedman's out or Bam Adebayo or one or both of them are in foul trouble? Well, this dude has experience playing small ball five. So he still helps you cover your center rotation, but he just primarily slots in as the backup four. And what I think this could be the sneaky great move is this would not only be a move that would help Miami win now, but potentially one that could help them win going forward. P.J. Washington's only 23 years old, the same age as Yurt Seven. And if you want to say what, what's the ceiling, so what is the floor of this for Miami? The floor of this is that they have a backup four that can also play small ball center if if you, Miami ever finds them needing center minutes. But you also have P.J. Tucker for that as well. So, yeah, you don't need to worry about the center spot at all. And now you have that backup 3 and D4 that you need to be a complete roster going into this playoffs. The ceiling is P.J. Washington grows under P.J. Tucker and becomes the new P.J. at the 4 for Miami going forward. When, when Miami does eventually have to move on, you know, three, four years down the road, when, they have, when it, then it becomes about Hero and Bam, you could have Washington with them as well. Well, we'll see. Um, at the time of recording, there's less than 24 hours to the trade deadline. Miami, like I said, they made this move literally an hour or two ago. So I would think now is when maybe they go back to the table with the Charlotte Hornets and be like, all right, we got some more draft stuff to decrease the wheels a little bit. Can we get this going now? Even if they don't, though, um, if they don't, and at that point, I hope Morris is good and can come and play that backup for and, and not be at risk. I don't, from what I've read, I, it doesn't seem like it is, it's not like the, the Bosch blood clot thing where there was, it was very clearly like, yo, if this happens twice, you need to be done. Uh, that was, that was like the big thing coming out of that. Um, this thing, since it seems to happen uh, co- somewhat commonly in football, it doesn't seem to be career ending. And given that the NBA doesn't want people elbowing each other in the, in the spine, uh, I wouldn't feel too bad from where I'm at letting him play again. So, yeah, that's all the trade talk. <clears throat> Moving on from there, we'll take a look at the standings real quick. 
and then we'll look ahead at the next week of games. So the East standings, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, Miami finds themselves once again at the top of the East, first at 35 and 20. So we don't even have to worry about making the everything else relative to the Heat because the rest of the East is already relative to the Heat. So after Miami in the two through five spot, these are teams that are from half a game back of the Heat. So we we don't have that separation yet. So half a game back to two and a half games back. These teams are the Bucks, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Sixers. So the common cast of characters that we've been seeing recently, barring the Nets, who are going through their own tailspin. We'll we'll get to them in a little bit. The moment, but um, in the six through eight seed, this is every. These are teams that are four and a half games to five and a half games back of the Heat. So still on the fringe of maybe we'd have to worry about tiebreakers. The Raptors, the Celtics, and then the Nets, who have been slipping hard. The ninth seed right now, I mentioned already, the Hornets, seven games back of the Heat. And then the tenth seed, eight and a half games back of the Heat, the Atlanta Hawks. I'm not even going to bother with 11 or 12 anymore. But, yeah, same situation we've been at. We're uh, we're at the top. We're the king on the hill right now. But, I like I've always said, I think Miami's position to not only keep first but get separation because they're wrapping up their last major road trip this week. So, again, finishing up. La- game six on Thursday of their last major road trip. There is one three-game road trip left, which is not very much. Like, it's not it's like a week. So right here, sun is shining, all that good stuff. So uh, first, Miami will be finishing up the road trip at the New Orleans Pelicans on Thursday. This is a Pelicans team that is 22-32, and 32, which somehow <laughs> has them... 10th seed in the West. They would be in the playing game if the season ended today. So Miami does have a 1-0 season series lead on them. It was a very forgettable November game that Miami just blew them out, even though it is still a West team, so it doesn't really matter that much. So for the Pelicans, this will be the second game of a homestand for them. They'll have played the Rockets on Tuesday. So Miami will have a slight rest advantage, having been off since Monday, but even then, like, it, it's the Pelicans. Uh, so this is a team that will not have Zion Williamson, will not have Larry Nance Jr. because they just traded for him, and debatably might not have C.J. McCollum. He's listed as day-to-day right now. But even then, uh, yeah, they're just not being, not just having Zion and Nance depletes them a lot on the front court. So for the defensive end for Miami, like, th- this is not a good Pelicans team. They're 24th in offensive rating, so it's pretty much defend Brandon Ingram, who's their, Ingram, who's their best scorer, and the only one really of concern on offense for me is Jonas Valanciunas just because he gives Bam problems sometimes because he's a bit, you know, strong. That he can go he can go strength for strength with Bam essentially. So that's the kind of center that Bam has to figure out how to be more agile and skillful against. So it and again, I hope Bam stays aggressive and this will give him a different kind of matchup to to test that aggressiveness. Um oh, also CJ McCollum if he's in, obviously you would want to guard him. He's he lit my he's lit Miami up at least once, yeah, because he was in the other game. But he lit Miami up for twenty points that half. Though Miami did shut him down in the second half afterwards. Uh, that's it for the defensive end, though. Offensive end for Miami. This again, they're not a good team. They're bottom, like they're twenties in both offensive and defensive rating. Twenty first in defensive rating. They do not defend the three very well at all. Bomb threes on them. This game should go the way that the last three have, which is blow them out and then rest your starters in the third, I'm sorry, in the fourth for an easy win. 
after the Pelicans of Miami will return home at last. Road trip accomplished, where they will host the Brooklyn Nets on Saturday. This is a Nets team that's currently 21-25. and 25. They're 8th in the East right now. So Miami, we only played them one time way at the start of the season where we beat them. We do have a best-of-four series, so we'll see them two more times after this. But Miami already owns that 1-0 lead, and given the current trajectories, it doesn't seem likely that uh, Brooklyn will catch up to Miami. But still, you always want to have the tiebreakers nonetheless. Um, So this will be the second game on the road for the Nets. They'll have played the Wizards on Thursday, so there's no real rest advantage. But the big thing for the Nets right now is that they're on a nine-game losing streak since losing Durant and then the problems with Irving and now lots of rumors surrounding James Harden probably being traded for Ben Simmons from the 76ers. But that's not confirmed, and that's probably like the, the biggest problem with previewing this game is the lack of certainty around what the Nets are going to look like Saturday. So things that we do know. We do know right now they're on a nine-game losing streak. We do know that come Saturday, uh, and then they're they're playing the the Wizards on Thursday, so they could pick up a win there and then at least break that. But uh, they'll be coming into Miami, so that's obviously for, for the Heat there. We know the Nets will be without Durant and Joe Harris, uh, and they may be out Harden. Like, if they don't trade Harden, he might still be out because of hamstring. Or if they do trade Harden for Simmons, it's going to be the question of whether Ben Simmons will be able to show up and play for them on Saturday. Which, considering, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm always going to say good faith that his mental health argument is legitimate. D- debate, debate whether he should be that or all you want. But assuming that is legitimate, it would be really weird if all of a sudden he's he's back and good to go on Saturday. We do know, since this will be a road game, uh, that Kyrie Irving will play for the Nets. So that is also something that we, we kind of know more so for certainty. So putting the Harden-Simmons stuff aside, let's just focus on, on what we do know. So for the defensive end for Miami, guard Irving. Like, no Durant, potentially no Harden or Simmons Irving's going to be their biggest threat on offense, and Miami has the players to defend him. So in that regard, I'm not too worried. Um, If Harden or Simmons do end up playing, that complicates things, but at that point, it's pretty much just going, okay, well, cool, we we have the bodies to throw at either of you guys as well. I'm not worried about the defense. Without Kevin Durant, which which is the big part of their offense, so without him, I don't have any concerns with Miami defending the Nets. Uh, for the offensive for Miami, this Nets team was never built on defense. Uh, they they do try, but they don't quite have the, that level of talent anymore. The 19th in defensive rating, and that was still with Durant. But for them, attack Irving. So, like defend him on the one end, and then put him in the action on the, the other end, and just exploit that. Um, Harden, because of the hamstring injury has been more so exploitable on defense, well, also a little bit of lack of energy. So that's also something you can do as well. And, but if they have Ben Simmons out there, like, yo, try to try to keep Simmons away from it. Because that dude is, for, for all his problems on the one end, on the defensive end, if you watch, that dude is legit. So to finish up the, the Nets, though, I think this is a solid win for Miami. Like, with Irving, I don't necessarily think it'll be... like If we blew them out, I would not be surprised because of all the, the circumstances and who knows how the team could look kind of stuff. But if Irving goes for a really hot shooting game and we just can't stop him and we end up winning by like 
you know, eight, nine points, I wouldn't be shocked either. But I still think we win the game regardless. So solid win for Miami. And then to finish up the week, I'll be doing the next episode the following Wednesday. So that way I'll go ahead and just preview next Tuesday's game now. The Miami Heat will host the Dallas Mavericks. This is a Mavericks team that's currently 32-23. and 23, So they have really turned themselves around from an early season slump. Currently 5th in the West. Uh, Miami is up 1-0 on them. There was an, It was an early November game. I do remember that game specifically uh, just because of the way Miami defeated Doncic, which we'll get to in a little bit. But this will be the first game the Mavs will have played on the road. They'll have played the Clippers on Saturday, so same rest schedule as Miami. Like At first, I thought, cool, Miami has Sunday-Monday off. They'll have a rest advantage. No, the Mavs will have that same rest advantage. The only difference, though, is Miami won't even have to travel during that time either. Regardless, so for the Mavs, they will not have Tim Hardaway. He's currently had a, a surgery for... Some sort of injury. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I, the, the specifics I remember was there was no timetable listed for return, so he's not going to be in that game. And additionally, right now, there is some health concerns around Kristaps Porzingis again with a lingering bone bruise on his knee that's had him out for five games. So at, at the time, he's still listed day-to-day, so it is plenty possible he might be good to go by next Tuesday. It's just kind of up in the air at the moment. But on the defensive end for the Miami... Follow the game plan that they did last time. They were constantly showing Luka Doncic different defenders. I think it was like six or seven different players to like picked him up. The, not not a situation where Luka was coming up the court with the same defender and then another defender was getting switched onto him. And so Luka was dictating which defenders were switched onto him. It was not a situation like that. It was more so Luka would come up and Jimmy Butler would, would be taking him at half court sometimes. Or Gabe Vincent would be taking him at half court. Or Kyle Lowry. Like, different people were taking him up at half court, which is having, making him have to think about the defensive coverages for each individual player and not getting to dictate which defenders were on him. And it worked to great success because in the fourth quarter, he was just gassed. And that's why I say, like, do the same thing here. Throw different looks at him. You have all the defenders that throw at him. And just wear him out so in the fourth quarter, uh, you can just kind of cruise to another win. On uh, the offensive end for Miami, though, the the Mavs have really made their name being fifth in defensive rating. So they're actually one spot ahead of the Heat in terms of defensive rating, primarily because they do a really good job of limiting three-point attempts and then three-point percentage, which actually makes them the best team in the league in terms of limiting opponent three-pointers made because they're not getting a lot up, and then the ones they are getting up, they're not getting great accuracy up. So instead, in that situation, cool. Go defend the three-point line, pass it into Bam, pass it into Butler, have them punish them inside. And if Porzingis is out too, then oh yeah, 100%. Just put the pressure on the rim, and I think the, the Mavs would crack at this point. So still, I, I would put this um, as a solid win for Miami. I, I don't think you can ever say you can easily unle- beat a Mavs team because Luka Doncic could seriously just go off for some ridiculous night and there's just nothing you can do. But I still think all the factors point to Miami for for this being a win. So, yeah, I'm saying that our three-game win streak will extend another week and be a six-game win streak so we can start to put the NBA on notice right before the All-Star break. But that'll be all for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow the pod um, on Twitter at Heaters Heating or myself at KBR Heat Nation. 
Also, check out, I'm trying to be more active on my personal Twitter. Also, check out the other pods we have at OTG Basketball on Twitter. So, um, yeah, I'll be back next week to go over the trade deadline stuff and right before the All-Star break. So, until then, stay heating. Have a good one, Heat Nation.